calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Realm presents Book Burners, Season 3, Episode 1. One. Sal Brooks watched monsters dance on the wall. She recognized the shapes of bulls and deer and antelope, though the beasts on the walls had different names. These were ancient creatures, gone now or diminished, like elves in those hobbit books. He never saw O'Rocks anymore. That thing with the branching brain cell horns like a reindeer drawn by someone on a bad trip was apparently a megaloceros, which Liam claimed meant big horns. Sal felt that being unable to think of a better name for a monster reindeer than big horns suggested there was something wrong with the scientific imagination. She could not deny, though, that the horns were big. The creatures circled the cave, huge and vital. Red horses pranced, a white bull squared off against a herd of smaller cattle. A man with a bird's head hefted a spear before a shaggy bison. Long-gone artists had woven the rock's colors and striations into their work. Ruddy iron stains framed the earth and paler limestone the sky. The tour guide spoke French, which Sal had come to accept, this being France. Since he wasn't ordering coffee or talking about pain au chocolat, she was lost. But she might as well make up her own translation. Thousands of years before Christ, before Rome and Egypt and, like, Gladiator and Call the Conqueror and all that other stuff your kid brother used to geek out over, early humans descended into this cave with brushes they made themselves from bits of actual horse, with paints mixed from dirt and berries, and in the middle of what was no doubt a gross, hard, short life, they made all this down in the bowels of the earth. And you think this space is claustrophobic now? Imagine what it would have been like without lights. Imagine what it would have been like not knowing what waited deeper in these caves or what used them when you weren't around. Liam, beside her, at least confined his disgust to a whisper. Milton Keynes prehistory is what this is. Shh, I'm listening. You don't speak French. This guy does a good spooky voice. And so, 
her imaginary translation continued as the pock-faced tour guide reached for a light switch set beside the cave door. We must not look upon the paintings of Lascaux only with the eyes of our, um, our normal eyes. Sal would be the first to admit her melodramatic speechifying needed a lot of work. Have to work on that if I intend to keep at this whole world-saving thing. But with the eyes of our minds and hearts, to understand the genius of these long-dead artists, we must see them in their intended light. The tour guide flipped the switch and the world went dark. Oh, come off, she shushed Liam. Don't ruin this. In the dark, from the tour guide's direction, Sal heard the unmistakable sound of someone failing to operate the safety wheel on a big lighter, followed by a curse, a few sparks that did not relieve the velvet dark, and a second, more muffled curse. Liam chuckled. She ignored him and waited. Other tourists breathed around her. She could feel them without touching them. Their bodies radiated warmth. 10,000 years, 20,000 before, they would have clustered like this in winter against the dark and cold. They would have breathed the same air. The flame took. Sal had turned away to save her night vision. She and Liam stood with their backs to the fire, surrounded by sparks in other tourists' eyes, and on the walls by shadows that were almost gods. Between the flickering lighter flame and the rock wall striations, the beasts moved. She had thought they'd danced before, but that was only a trick, a suggestion of movement. In firelight, they lived. The aurochs drew breath. The megaloceros shook its heavy horns. She felt herself with another body, shaggy, ancient, leather-clad, and hungry and full of strength, the root and backbone of a world. That's only a model, Liam said, and she elbowed him in the ribs. I'm just telling the truth. He was still protesting two hours later as they wandered through the museum zoo. Two kids ran up to the pony enclosure and plastered their faces against the fence. The clunk of their colliding skulls spooked the ponies, not to mention Sal. Their parents didn't seem to mind. The kids laughed. You don't have to be such a tool about it. My point, and I don't see why this does not bother you as much as it does me. It's silly to pretend you're seeing something magical when you're not. There are real Lascaux caves, not far, let's see, that away. He pointed dramatically, and two passing college girls executed a noticeable head twist to follow the muscles working under his t-shirt. That cave wasn't even a real cave. It was a bloody concrete bunker. They don't let people in the real cave anymore. Sal opened the brochure and guided them back toward the museum. A cow mooed behind a fence, and she thought it lacked a bit compared to the aurochs in the cave. They let people into the real thing for 20 years, and they breathed so much, all the paint was about to fall off the walls from CO2. And before you ask, we can't just pull some Vatican favors to get into the real cave system. There was some sort of mold infection back around the millennium. They don't even let scientists down there these days. I can search Wikipedia as well as the next man, thank you. The museum doors closed out the lowing cows behind them, if not better. And my point is not that they should let us into the real caves. I understand the whole preserve the priceless artifacts routine. I just think it's absurd for us to pretend a concrete bunker for the love of Christ is the real thing. It's an exact replica. Some things, he said, you cannot replicate. Not even on Star Trek. What? That earned her a sidelong glare from Liam. Skeptical, suspicious. Was she playing ignorant to poke fun at him, or did she really not know what he was talking about? Sal liked this game. 
If the rest of Team 3 were going to be insufferable nerds all the time, she might as well get some fun out of it. Never mind. If we leave now, my point is, we still have time to register for the Vineyard Marathon tomorrow. Bordeaux is only about an hour's drive that way. Just because you... She glanced around, but no one was close enough to hear her, except for a few paleolithic mannequins clustered by the safety of their diorama fire. Just because you're no longer worried you might be possessed by a demon, you're not obligated to get as drunk as possible at every opportunity. Not every opportunity, no. But I feel I owe it to myself to take advantage of particularly appealing ones. He stretched his hands over his head. Too much boozing would interfere with the gym routine, at any rate. But have you ever heard of such an ideal arrangement? On the one hand, a 20-some-odd mile run, and on the other, a glass of wine at every vineyard you pass. Tell me that doesn't sound fun. Sal thought about wine hangovers and thought about the one time her college roommate goaded her into a half marathon and thought about both of these at once. We're here to investigate. Look, I understand your fetish. She raised an eyebrow. Do you really have to use that word? For data-driven policing, it's an expression, Demma. And trust me, I share your desire to leave the Vatican far behind for a few days, but we've done what we came here to do. There's nothing wrong in Lusco. So we might as well enjoy our furlough for a good run and an egregious hangover and chalk this one up as a false positive. You were the one who set up the flags, and they were the right flags, and this did look like a good lead. And the discovery of a new cave complex scores points for ancient, uh, mysterious, and artwork. Plus, the territory is within our jurisdiction. And if this was a false positive, as we both agreed seemed likely before we even ran this trip up the old flagpole, we haven't set the Vatican's travel budget back much. She sat on the rail next to the Paleolithic family. The plastic mother, suckling her plastic baby, looked up at Sal with an expression of holy dread. That seemed fair. We've only been here a few hours. I want to be sure nothing's wrong before we leave. There's no shame in finding nothing. You settled beside her. Surely you didn't stop crime on every patrol back when you were a cop. We might not agree with Cardinal Fox on much, but if our new lord and master has anything to recommend him, it's his insistent harping on operational readiness. You don't need to find something bad for this to have been a good idea. And so long as we've come out here on vacation to test it, we may as well enjoy ourselves on the way home. He held out his hand. She accepted and found for the first time since their short-lived, ill-founded, and mutually embarrassing relationship breathed its last two years before, that she could take some friendly comfort in his touch. Even if he had been a dick about the fake cave. You know, she said, you really have been different since Belfast. So say we all. He crooked a smile, which usually meant he'd made a joke she didn't get. Sal was about to ask him to explain the reference when she heard a woman scream. They jumped to their feet and ran toward the cry. Sparks whirled within a crystal orb at the heart of the Vatican's black archives. Archivist Asante circled the orb's mechanical cradle taking notes, adjusting knobs and valves, and occasionally referring to one of the seven open reference volumes propped on nearby music stands. The eighth stand held the score of Mahler's resurrection. She hummed the alto line as she worked. The archives lay empty around her. They were often empty these days, 
her assistants having been winnowed or reassigned, and most of the team out on patrol. She did not mind the silence or the workload. She'd let herself grow soft, ordering people around last year. Lifting piles of books kept the body strong, and a strong body made for a strong mind. Another advantage of her newfound solitude, she could hear people coming. What do you want, Arturo? The footsteps behind her hesitated. I uh, tried to call, but uh, you didn't pick up. I'm busy. She flipped two pages of one book, three pages of another, and frowned back at the orb. Doing more with less is the order of the day. I didn't realize how dependent I had become on Francis's work, unraveling the secrets of the orb. I thought she had made a full recovery. That depends on what you term recovery. Having your legs magically transformed to scaly tentacles does not tend to be something one heals from. Mentally and physically, she's as well as can be expected. However, as you may have noticed, she pointed without looking to the winding helical iron stair that descended from the roof of the archive's dome and to the sundry other stairs leading up and down. The black archives are hardly the most handicap accessible space in the Vatican. Cardinal Fox assures me a lift will be installed soon. How he plans to do this without compromising his beloved operational security, I do not know. She turned a page on the Mahler. What do you want? Manchu looked up. He wasn't looking at God, and the black archives possessed one of the few ceilings in the Vatican no one had thought to cover with paintings of naked men. Asante found the glyph she wanted on the third codex and adjusted a lever on the machinery around the orb. Sparks began to resolve in a single quadrant of the crystal. She followed his gaze to the LED clock, set at 36 hours, hanging over their heads. There were four panels, so one could be seen regardless of an onlooker's position in the archives. I'm worried about you, the priest said. I'm doing my job. No one has bothered me or interfered with my new, limited responsibilities since the trial. She spun a dial clockwise and the sparks dimmed, counterclockwise, brighter. Brighter still, yes, good, until a thin stream of acrid smoke issued from the machine and she walked the dial back to a more stable setting. Which is better than I had hoped. You have no cause for concern. The orb's light painted Menchu's face in ghostly hues, and the clock added a trace of blood. Asante did not much like the resultant painting. We haven't talked in weeks. Nonsense, we talk every day. About the job, he said, about procedures, about the orb. But we're friends, aren't we? Asante kept silent. Asante, I know you're still angry. Really, did he? She had saved the world after a fashion. They all had, more decidedly than usual, and that salvation had been accomplished due to their mastery of magic. Their church-judged objectionable habit of viewing the supernatural as a field of inquiry, rather than what? A terrifying slick otherness best consigned to the most secure cells one could construct. And the world having been saved, the society for which they worked, which had appointed them to do precisely this sort of world-saving, arrested her, which had been an enormous surprise to Manchu and the rest of their merry team, but well within Asante's own projections. The society needed a scapegoat. It prosecuted her, threatened her with imprisonment and death, precisely as she'd expected. The society hoped she would back down, but she did not. 
By sentencing her, the conservative faction would have doomed itself, giving society radicals a martyr around whom to rally. But Manchu acted in a way she did not foresee. He saved her life. And now they had a clock over their heads and cameras in the corners of the room, ostensibly to protect against magical incursion. But magic fogged cameras and slipped off digital records. No, the cameras had been posted to watch her. Good for them. Still angry. Anger did not cover the half of it. She wished Menchu had not raised the question. But now it would look strange if she did not answer, and the last thing she could afford now was to look strange. She ceased tinkering with the orb and turned back to the priest she'd worked beside for more than a quarter century. Arturo, she began, not knowing what she would say next. Thank God, and secret Vatican archives were the place for that sort of language, if anywhere was. The orb chose that moment to resolve. The light blinded. Alarms rang throughout the archives, and, thanks to Cardinal Fox's coordination memo, in the offices of Team 2 and Team 1 as well. The clockwork printer shuddered into action, drums rolling paper tape through jabbing inked needles. Asante tore the tape and read the coordinates. She tried to remain impassive. Where? Lasco, she said. France. The caves, probably. Sal and Liam are there already, Manchu said, testing their warning system. It seems they succeeded, Asante said. You'd best get moving. Overhead, the clock began to tick down. 35 hours, 59 minutes, and counting. If Arturo Manchu had been any other man, he would have cursed. That's not supposed to start until we're in position. But Sal and Liam are in position. Asante said, it's not enough time. So you've said, 36 hours and Team One runs in with guns blazing, regardless of how close we are to solving the problem. Not even a consultation first. We want to keep our work secret, which means keeping Team One out of the field as much as possible, handling things slowly, not strapping a time bomb to every mission. He never flushed when he was quietly angry, but when he started a rant, oh yes, masterful to behold even if he stopped himself before he reached full dudgeon. I've uh, said all this before. You have, she said as kindly as she could manage. Go ahead, Arturo. I wish I could go with you. She wasn't lying was the damnedest thing. He looked at her with that sad, perfect hangdog expression, then turned and left with everything unsaid between them. Asante waited until he was gone, then climbed the stairs to offer her report. It had taken her some experimentation to find a point where she could receive cell service without anyone in the archives nor the stairwell cameras observing what she used it for. She drew her phone and typed a few innocuous words about shopping for that night's dinner, which her intended recipient would, if he remembered their code, read as, Time's up. The book burners are in play. Then she locked her phone and decided what she would tell the Cardinal. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, 
floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. You have to help me, the woman sobbed. My sister, she is missing. Sal rounded the corner first. The fight, such as it was, had broken out in a long black hallway lined with cave painting reproductions and concerned three individuals. One woman, dark hair, five eight or so, pale, round face, considerably upset, was being held off by another woman wearing a sweater vest who seemed even less comfortable holding someone off than folk who wore sweater vests tended to be on average. Sal pegged the second woman as a research assistant, especially since the gray-haired man drawing back from them both wore a bow tie and khakis, and had the harried, uncomfortable expression of a certain sort of university professor unexpectedly confronted with strong emotion. I am uh, terribly sorry, the professor said, adjusting his shirt, but I do not understand what you think I can do to help. If your sister is missing, surely you should contact the uh, police. Sal extended her arm without looking, and Liam ran into it from behind. You run the dick site. I know she's in there. Her name is Sylvia. She ran away from hotel. She must be down in your caves. Madame, my name is Agnieszka. My sister Sylvia, I assure you, your sister, whatever her name, is nowhere near our excavation. The site is closed. Had she entered, there would have been alarms, and there are no alarms. She is in there. You do not understand. I, I saw her. One for the security guards, then, Liam said, sounding almost disappointed. Guards were, in fact, rounding the corner. Shadows clustered and bubbled on the walls. Lost her sister? Sal felt a pang of guilt and wished she could help. Then again, someone whose half-brother had half-merged with an angel, then disappeared, probably wasn't the kind of help this young woman needed. 
She was about to nod when the Megaloceros painting on the wall exploded. The hall went weird in a way Sal knew all too well, and a beast of shadow, 20 hands tall at the shoulder, towered in the center of the room. Enormous antlers drew sparks where they struck the ceiling. It shook its whole shaggy length, more or less like Sal would expect a creature in prison for 20,000 years without physical form to do. Then it charged. Of the two of them, Sal might have had more practice in the 100-meter dash toward trouble, but Liam won hands down when it came to reacting to weird shit. By the time the beast charged, he had already tackled Agnieszka out of the way. The research associate, too, fell clear. Sal tried to grab the man, but extinct plasticine beasts worked up speed quickly. Before she could close the distance, the Megaloceros slammed into the professor, and they both vanished. The professor was gone completely. Not even his clipboard remained. Sal ran to Liam, head up, ready for the walls to bubble again. Save the pretty girl first, huh? It was being a jerk. A jerk, sir. Save the world priority, too. What the hell was that thing? Extinct, Sal said. There weren't many people shadow monsters set at ease, and Agnieszka didn't qualify. The research associate, though, recovered fast enough to ask the obvious question. Where is Professor Gerondon? Sal had never been good at this part of the job. She still didn't like that this was part of the job at all. On the wall, where the painting of the Megaloceros had been, stood a crude, vivid drawing of a man with a clipboard and a bow tie. I don't know, she said, but I don't think he's gone far. Two. The museum, like most, lacked a contingency plan for magical outbreaks. Flustered security guards ran over from whatever they hadn't been doing before, cordoned off the hallway, then shifted, unsure how to respond to the absence of a visible problem. If their training manuals included a procedure for a museum guests transformed into cavewall cartoon, they must not have covered that page in the seminar. The grad students shouted at them in rapid French, gesturing toward Agnieszka and collaterally to Liam and Sal. Liam rolled his eyes. I'll deal with this, just a tick. Sal doubted her face could express the depth of her disbelief. Deal with this? How? I'll improvise. He shot her a winning smile, rose, and walked over to the grad student, arms spread, composing his body into an apology. Sal sat beside Agnieszka and extended her hand. Are you okay? The woman pulled the pieces of herself together and reached out. Her hand shook. Sal had seen that spooked, unsteady expression on too many faces in the years since she joined the society. She must have looked like that herself back when it all began, in those stunned few days after she learned magic was real, that the human world was an island on a sea of storms. But Agnieszka's grip was strong. I'm Sal. She touched her own chest. You're Agnieszka. Am I saying that right? I, I'm sorry, she said. English, not so good. Better than my Polish? Yes, she nodded. What happened? Well, you were arguing with a puffed up professor about your sister's disappearance, and then magic popped out of the wall and almost pulled you into a fake cave painting. You saw. None of this makes sense. I'm from the Vatican. Sal said. She showed the Vatican police card from her wallet and wished, not for the first time, that a Team 3 badge wouldn't violate the society's secrecy rules. Badges helped, sometimes. 
She wasn't asking for much in a badge, just a shield, the papal keys, and Vatican magic police in Latin, because magic police sounded pretty dumb in English. Behind her, Liam had somehow managed to mollify the guards. The grad student had her arms crossed over her sweater vest and glared at him over the rims of her glasses. Agnieszka read the card and looked up at Sal, questioning. We solve problems like this, Sal said, stuff that can't be explained uh, normally. This was usually where people got all flustered and started protesting. Ghosts don't exist, demons aren't real, that sort of thing. Thank God, Agnieszka said. She fished a crucifix from her shirt by the chain and clutched it like a line thrown to a drowning woman. My sister needs your help. Sal had not expected that reaction. She glanced around for backup, wishing Menchu were here. Hell, even Liam would have cut a more convincing Catholic authority figure. But he was still talking to the security guards and the grad student, all of whom were, for some reason, nodding. The grad student watched him with a wary, intrigued expression that occasionally slipped down to his shoulders, then back up again. Damn it. Sal scanned the hall for further aid, if only of a moral variety. The audience behind the security cordon was already drifting away, deprived of either an obvious victim or a hysterical woman to fixate on. Two tense conversations in a hall made for poor rubbernecking. But there, behind a woman in a yellow rain slicker leading two children on leashes, stood someone Sal hadn't seen in more than a year. Someone she'd half hoped, half feared she would never see again. Come on, she told Agnieszka and helped pull the other woman to her feet. Let's get cleaned up. Liam, the restroom? He shot her a thumbs up. Agnieszka shook her head, not understanding. Where are we going? The bathroom. But I don't need, sorry, I know. But I just saw someone who shouldn't be here. She shoved through the crowd and saw him again. Perry had changed his hair. He had found a better barber, for one, not that his haircuts could exactly have gotten worse, and his hair had thinned a bit though his body hadn't thickened to compensate. He still bounced when he moved, like rubber bands held his bones together. He wore a hoodie with a cartoon wizard on it and kept his head bent over his cell phone as he walked away. Her brother, more or less. She had last seen him a year and a half ago, seated on her couch, eating pizza, and fading away before her eyes. Her brother, whom she'd rescued from hell literally, only to lose him again to the angel who shared his body. Her brother, whose experiments with magic got her into this wonderful, screwed up life in the first place. Working for the Vatican, meddling in forces woman was not meant to touch. Her brother, who she never could save. Sal guided Agnieszka through the crowd, down the hall. He quickened his step. Perry! He reached a corner, turned, and saw them coming. His eyebrows rose and he smiled, waved with his fingertips, turned away. She turned to Agnieszka. Run. She'd meant run away, but Agnieszka must have misinterpreted. She matched Sal's pace toward Perry. What's going on? Uh, who is that man? When they reached the corner, he was gone. A teenage couple kissing near a model saber-toothed tiger recoiled from each other and bent back to their school books. Sal allowed herself a distinctly un-Vatican-like curse. Agnieszka tore herself away from Sal and drew back, her hands clenched into fists. I am done with being confused. I want answers. There is disappearing moose, also disappearing idiot in bow tie. You say there is, what, magic? 
and you are from the Vatican, if please make sense. My sister has gone, and, and I must find her. Sal stared into the empty hallway. I know how you feel. The abandoned back alley clock shop that served as headquarters of the Societas Librorium Occultorum Steam 4 real-time division lacked insignia, blazon, motto, or even a sign beyond the one hanging in the window that read closed. This was entirely appropriate so far as the members of Team 4 real-time division were concerned since they were a secret organization operating beyond the authority of the already secret society. And secret organizations, and especially double-secret organizations, did not, as a rule, advertise. This point, on which the team's few members agreed, allowed them to avoid argument over several other less practical questions, including, but not limited to, since they were working without the society's endorsement and would in fact be killed or shoved in an oubliette forever were their work to be discovered, should they still refer to themselves as a society team? Were they, in fact, Team 4, considering that Team 4, the Vatican's old magical research and development unit, still existed? albeit as a bunch of basically useless cryptic sages operating from a hermitage built in an adjacent dimension which experienced all time simultaneously. It was real-time accurate, given the existence of a dimension of complete simultaneity, which implied that time itself was a less fundamental category than Kant would argue. And what was a sufficiently impressive motto for a guild of secret wizards? All these precautions did, however, mean Asante still got lost looking for the place. She sometimes wondered if this was an intentional line of defense, an unmentioned gift of their more mystical partners. But she had lived in Rome long enough to own her failure at street navigation. Her archive was a labyrinth of tangled passages, many alike, none identical. Texts doubled back on their own meanings, only to connect with other texts in strange, geometry-defying twists. Those were the paths her mind charted. Those were the terms she memorized. For the rest, she trusted GPS. Her children hadn't let her navigate on vacation since they were old enough to read a map. But she found the clock shop, locked the door behind her, and marched into the future. The front room was, of course, empty, save a table and an unlit candle. She passed through without examining the dust or the chairs. More candlelight flickered beneath the door to the stock room. She closed that door behind her, too, and let her eyes adjust. Are we ready? No. Reading by candlelight will hurt your eyes. I see better in shadow these days. Frances Haddad sat pooled on the rug amidst a nest of snakes. Her wheelchair stood empty by the wall. A circle of candles on the floor illuminated the bookcases and improvised mystic apparatus that filled the stockroom. Frances reclined on her elbows, turning the pages of a crackling leather-bound codex with the scaled tentacles that sprouted from her hips. I don't know if it's part of my transformation or some sort of psychological coping mechanism. My night vision seems to have improved, though. Again, I might be imagining it. I brought more books. Frances frowned at her own book, turned several more pages, then raised another with another set of tentacles and consulted it. Oh, excellent. She adjusted her glasses with a snake. More contradictions? And a few pieces of hard evidence. It seems Team 3 judged the cave paintings in Lascaux Harmless in 1950, soon after their discovery. Believe it or not, the cave's closure in the early years of the century did in fact stem from fungal blooms degrading the paint. No mystical interference whatsoever. 
Sometimes a cigar, as the good doctor says, is merely a cigar. She opened the book bag and set the volumes within on the floor. I've skimmed most of these, except for the shang, which looks like a piece of theoretical fluff. I've nothing against theoretical fluff, but we're under time pressure. Team three deployed two hours ago, more Manchu did. Sal and Liam are already on site, more's the pity. She made a face and tried to look as if she hadn't. Just bad luck, this notion of Sal's paid off. Bad luck for us, I mean. I'm sure the people of Lascaux will be happy to have an authority on hand. It still bothers you, doesn't it? To keep them away from our work? Of course. I wish... I wish last year had turned out differently. You're not the only one. Her snakes rippled like a pond surface brushed by wind. Asante sank into a chair. I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking. I've been so tired. It's fine, Francis said. That is, to be honest, I don't know what fine looks like anymore. The tide of magic is rising, the world's due to burn any year now, and I have snakes for legs. But we're all managing for the moment. She slammed her book shut. A cloud of dust rose from the pages. I'm just so frustrated. Lascaux went from threatening to a full outbreak too fast. Our models, none of us expected learning magic to be easy. As far as we can tell, there's not even a book at Lascaux. That's the one thing we thought we knew for sure about magic. No books, Asante said. But what's a book to a caveman? And the ground under Lascaux is full of artistic representations. Perhaps there's something deeper at work. Perhaps books are merely a special case. The boundaries between our world and representations of our world blur. Observation matters. Shadows need light for contrast, or else they're only darkness. So we use tricks to reinforce darkness, and we use language and music to separate apparent from actual reality. Knowing that, we should be able to stem the tide. Risky. We are children learning surgery, but the world is dying and needs a surgeon, and there's no one else. No pressure. Asante selected a book from her pile and opened it to read. Certainly not. Fortunately for the world, she said, we are very smart. What do you have so far? A few incantations, a protective circle, a rhythm. One of Francis's snakes passed up a few sheets of notebook paper. I hope it'll be enough. Asante took out her camera phone. He should start the ritual soon. Marturo's already on his way. Three. Sal met Father Manchu's taxi in front of the bed and breakfast near sunset. The priest looked rumpled and determined, and had brought no luggage save a duffel bag and crash kit. Crosses, silver, a few weapons in case of emergency. All regulation, now that they had regulation. Sal hugged him in the driveway. I'm sorry I'm late, he said. I uh, caught the first flight into Bordeaux and drove. She took his bag. I never thought I'd be upset at pistols being standard issue on a society mission. God bless and guide, Cardinal Fox, Menchu said with a tone of voice that suggested he might be thinking of verbs other than bless and guide. He sees himself as a changemaker, and he has made changes. Speaking of which, where's our countdown? When he showed her the timer on his phone, she cursed. That's not fair. I'm inclined to agree, but fair or not, we must accept our limits. 
The priest ran his thumb and forefinger over his mustache, then curved them back around to clutch his chin. What's happened? Liam saluted them when they reached the balcony outside the second floor bedroom. The professor and the painting disappeared soon after he was sucked in, but nobody saw him go. Monique was pretty messed up about it. I tried to convince her to close the new excavation in case I had something to do with our phantom reindeer monster, but she didn't listen. Monique. Sal raised an eyebrow, but Liam refused the bait. Team two managed to close down the museum for now. A score one for Fox's intramural cooperation initiative. Carbon monoxide leak, they said. I don't think hallucinations have much to do with carbon monoxide, but I'm not a professional liar. Didn't close the fake cave in time, though. They lost a room full of tourists. Sent them in, and no one came out again. Manchu nodded. This same method it transformed into paintings? It looks that way. I didn't stick my head in long enough to take an exhaustive survey. The walls started bubbling after a glance. But we closed the door and turned out the lights, and nothing tried to break out. It seems like complete darkness can contain it, at least for a while. Any clue what's causing this? Who knows? The new cave has been open for weeks without issue. I saw Perry, Sal said. Manchu stopped. Your brother's here? He was back at the museum when the beast broke out of the wall. But he pulled a disappearing act again, and I couldn't catch him. He wanted me to see him. I don't know why, or what that might mean. She shoved her hands in her pockets and stared out over the sunset town. Anyway, we think we found patient zero. She opened the door. Aginyeshka paced the room, glaring at the walls. When Manchu entered, she stopped and stared. Sal wasn't certain whether she was about to cry or laugh. Then the young woman started speaking Polish fast and earnest and angry. Manchu raised his hands and replied in the same language, haltingly. Aginyeshka's face melted with relief to hear her language spoken however poorly. Thank you, father, she said in English this time. I am so glad to see you. Sally says you can help my sister. Sally, Manchu said. Oh, Sal, yes, yes, I hope I can. Sal walked to Agnieszka and touched her arm. Just tell Father Manchu what she told me. Agnieszka glanced down and tucked a stray lock of dark hair behind her ear. She looked penitent, that was the word ashamed. My sister Sylvia vanished last night. She and I had, um, argument. I am, uh, you know, she said a few words in Polish, then shook her head and tried again. Computers, you know, databases in Paris for five years. My younger sister, she is to college soon. She does not know what to study. She comes out to stay with me. We travel together. I was so excited. I thought I would show her my life. I will take her to dance, to hear good music. I will bring her to restaurants, pour her wine. But she does not want to dance or to travel or to drink good wine. None of the things I show her interest her. Only to sit in museums and draw. She draws Da Vinci, she draws Michelangelo, and this after years we do not see each other. We were so close as children. She started pacing again. I was stupid. I do not understand. I, I did not understand, you see? Yes, Manchu said, and once again Sal felt awed by the ease he projected. What happened then? 
I say we should go down here to see paintings. She's happy, and I'm happy too. We have good talks on the train, she laughs, we play cards, sing songs. Then we get here and Sylvia learns we cannot see the paintings, not the real ones. It's all fake. She draws them and draws them, always angrier, angry at the copies. She hears about new paintings they have found in woods. We try to see them, but the professor, Gerondon, he says no. It's not allowed. She gets upset, mad, screams at him. I take her away. That night, we argue. She leaves hotel. I, I think she is outside, pacing to calm down, like when we were children. But when I go to find her, she is, is gone. I have bad feelings, so I go to new cave. Find her, but she moves like she is asleep. She walks to fence and through, as if fence is not there. Walks to cave. Then cave swallows her like mouth. She turned away and waited, hugging her own arms, breathing. Soon the shivers passed. I tried to tell the professor, and he says it's not possible. Go away. I follow him, and he casts me off. And then shadows eat him. That last sentence sounded not quite happy, but satisfied. Sally says she can help. Manchu's gaze shifted to Sal, and Sal tried to look innocent. They weren't supposed to say that, not in so many words. There was seldom an honest chance of help on offer. But she hadn't been able to resist. We'll do our best, Father Manchu said. That's what we do. Thank you, Father. Thank you. This is all my fault. It's not, Sal said, really. Manchu held out his hands to Agnieszka, and she took them. I need to talk to my friends outside for a moment. Can you wait here? The woman nodded, then sat and drank tea as the door closed. Well, Manchu said when the door closed, it sounds like our next step is to investigate the cave. Shadow monsters, Sal said. I wish Grace was here. Manchu checked his timer. So do I, he said, but um, not under the present circumstances. He stood the phone again. Liam, you mentioned that you met one of the researchers at the dig site, uh, Monique. Maybe she can get us in. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Exe Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch-Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>